This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Lacquer's collective cover is made especially for cyclists for life on and off your bike. They've transformed traditional insurance to provide customers with a fairer, collective-driven approach to cycle insurance. Say goodbye to fixed upfront premiums. Instead, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month. Your maximum monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. And they have some big news. Lacquer will be running its first ever crowdfunding campaign and offering equity for the pack. Cyclists have helped Lacquer bring a much better model of insurance to the masses. That's why they want to invite you to join the ride. They're pleased to be able to give Ruler listeners the opportunity to own a part of Lacquer. You can invest in the future of Lacquer from as little as £10 and become a huge part of their collective. To register and to find out more about Lacquer's crowdfunding, Head to lacquer.co. Remember that when investing your capital is at risk, this announcement was approved by Cedars. The Butterfly Effect by Nick Christian, originally published in Ruler issue 18.6, read by George Oliver. He's one of the finest stage racers of a generation. In 2015, Tom Dumoulin was a 1,000 to 1 outsider before the Vuelta Espana that kickstarted his career. The Butterfly of Maastricht and his teammates reflect on how they nearly pulled off the greatest shock in modern Grand Tour racing. Now then, Here's an infomercial message for the discerning folk of Rulerland. For the finest long-form cycling journalism and exquisite photography and design, why don't you simply subscribe to Ruler magazine? It costs as little as £7 per month. Regular columnists include Orla Chenwi, Roman Bardet and me, Ned Bolting, accompanied by features from the best writers and photographers in the business. Simply go to ruler.cc. You know this makes sense. It is late summer 2015, and nobody knows that Tom Dumoulin is on the verge of a breakthrough. Not the 24-year-old Dutchman himself, nor his teammates at Giant Alpecin. It doesn't figure in his employer's plans. The top tens of Grand Tour contenders put out by magazines and websites ahead of such races do not feature him. The best three-week riders in the world might know his name, but have no idea he is set to join their ranks. Dumoulin has shown promise in week-long races, winning stages at the Tour de Suisse and the Aneco Tour, placing twice overall in successive years at both. He finished second to Tony Martin in the penultimate stage TT at the previous year's Tour de France. By more than a minute, but still, Tony Martin. A podium at Paris-Nice? Maybe Romandie would be a logical goal, though Dumoulin has already said his target for 2016 is an Olympic medal. A gold one. He is thought of by his teammates as an exciting prospect for the future, but they see him, for now at least, as a world-class time trialist who's very good on the hills. He can make it over the high mountains, more or less, but he is not expected to challenge in them. 
that is about to change. Chaos theory is said to be the science of surprises. While much of science deals with the linear and the predictable, x causes y, chaos theory addresses complex, non-linear systems in which connections are countless, outcomes infinite. The one principle of chaos theory most manage to bluff their way through is the butterfly effect. The name originates from the title of a lecture given by the American mathematician Edward Lorenz in 1972. Does the flap of a butterfly's wings in Brazil set off a tornado in Texas? It describes a seemingly insignificant event which, in a chaotic system, is the ultimate origin of a dramatically more significant one. The 2015 Vuelta a España marked Tom Dumoulin's arrival as a Grand Tour contender, but the butterfly that flapped its wings was a giant Alpecin teammate who caused a massive pile-up at the Tour de France seven weeks earlier. As the peloton powered its way along the road to Huy, some 50 kilometres from the day's finish, Warren Baguil navigated his way down the right-hand side of the tightly packed bunch. As he passed William Bonnet, Baguil's rear wheel glanced the FDJ rider's front tyre. The faintest flick of his handlebars was all it took to detonate a catastrophic explosion of carbon and flesh. It was a crash of uncommon scale, several seconds long from start to finish, reaching deep into the belly of the bunch. Maio-Jean Fabian Cancellara was its most notable casualty, with Dumoulin wearing the white jersey of best young rider, mostly a footnote. A dislocated shoulder ended the Dutchman's race. He would next pin a number to his back on August 22nd in Puerto Banu. All this matters because it meant Dumoulin had unfinished business. With the Netherlands city of Utrecht hosting the Tour's Grand Depart, he had harboured hopes of winning the prologue and wearing the yellow jersey in his home country. Despite falling short, the short steep finish to stage three, on the Meur de had offered a second chance to take the race lead. And had Barguil passed Bonnet with a few millimetres more between them, Dumoulin might have achieved his aim. Perhaps he would have gone on to Paris and ended his season there, a spell in the Maillot Jaune marking respectable reward for a season's work. Or he may have dropped out further down the three-week road, still travelled to Spain, but in different or indifferent form, with less to prove to himself. The rider he is today might have emerged later, or not at all. For the opening stage of the 70th edition of the Vuelta a España, the organisers had gone all out, designing a prologue-length team time trial course that seemed to resemble an inebriated evening stagger along the shoreline, Launching from a jetty at sunset, the teams would race along 7.4 kilometres of the Costa del Sol over a variety of unlikely surfaces, including brick, marble and a wooden bridge, before finishing in Marbella. Unfortunately, what might be suitable for flip-flopped sunseekers is not necessarily appropriate for eye-wateringly expensive, board-stiff carbon time trial bikes fitted with 25mm tubeless tyres, nor is it for their even more precious human cargo. The riders revolted, the race relented, the stage would go ahead but with the general classification neutralised. It would be up to the teams themselves to decide whether to take it steady or to go all out for the victory. For giant Alpacins riders who dismissed the course as a spectacle, unworthy of a time trial, it was the correct call. For Tom de Milan, a late addition to the nine, it was a physical relief. His shoulder had largely recovered, but he was not yet completely free from pain. 
His injury had, however, healed well. He had maintained much of the form he had built up for the Tour de France and been able to spend some time at altitude in the weeks prior. Nonetheless, from the team's point of view, for him, the objective of this Vuelta was purely with an eye to the future. At that point in his career, Dumoulin himself may not have even gone that far. I thought I would just progress myself as being a time trialist and as somebody who can maybe go for the win in one-week races, he says. But GC in a Grand Tour was never really on my mind. Arriving at that Vuelta, there was no doubt about the singular purpose his team had. Giant Alpecin's lineup was designed entirely around their German sprinter, John Dagenkolb. You look at the squad that we bought there, and it was all big lead-out guys, says Lawson Craddock. Cohn de Court, Luca Mezgetz, Zico Whitens, Tom Stamsnyder. The only real outliers were Craddock himself and Tom Dumoulin, though neither was exempt from Dagenkolb duties. Giant Alperson, Craddock points out, had always been more of a sprinter's team, based around having a really good lead-out train supporting Kittel and Dagenkolb and a handful of other sprinters too. Before the 2015 Vuelta, few of the team's riders had experienced the rigours of riding all out for the GC. None was expecting to have to do so for the first time there. There's rarely much on the menu for sprinters at the Vuelta, but five stages of the 2015 edition seem to offer opportunities, and besides, Dagenkolb had won four the year before. Dumoulin would be allowed some freedom and whatever assistance the team could afford, but not much and not carte blanche. Although the individual time trial on stage 17 was an obvious target, everyone agreed he was riding primarily, like the rest of the team, in service to Dagenkolb. To say expectations of Dumoulin were low would be to overstate them. Pre-race, bookmakers were offering odds of a 1,000 to 1 on him winning. Whether or not he was, as teammate Tom Stamsnyder suggests, just keen on riding his bike, the 2015 Vuelta was for him what it so often is for riders a chance to salvage something from the season. The folly of the team time trial over, the Vuelta would begin properly the next day. Hilly rather than mountainous, with a punchy finish, the stage was not one worth the true GC riders starting a squabble over, but perfect for an energetic young buck not thinking about tomorrow. He told me that he felt pretty good, Stamsnyder remembers, that I should put more in on the front to keep him there, I didn't think anything about it, just that it was good to see him fighting for his position. And then he just goes for it. Go for it he did. Launching into a gallop three kilometres from the finish at the Caminito del Rey. Nairo Quintana and Nicholas Roach followed his wheel through the cinematic Gaitan Gorge before they were all overtaken by a surging Esteban Chavez. The climb's steep final third whittled the contenders down to just Dumoulin and Chavez. As the finish flattened out, Chavez put in one more hard push of the pedals, enough to beat his opponent, claim the victory and the race lead. Eurosport's lead commentator could barely believe his eyes at the sight of this rangy Dutchman matching Orica Scott's diminutive Colombian pound for pound on a slope that clearly suited one more than the other. He shouldn't have been so surprised. Dumoulin's record showed he was more than capable of performing on a finish like that. Moreover, he had a point to prove. I wanted to get the disappointment from the tour away then, so I was fighting for it on the first day to show everyone that I trained well and that I was ready for races again. Ivan Spakenbrink, then general manager of Giant Alpecin, says it would not have happened if the likes of Froome and Aru had deemed Dumoulin a threat. 
That they gave him some space, he says, showed that they did not see him as a GC contender. It could easily have been a one-off. Perhaps it should have been. Certainly no one imagined there was more to come. For the rest of the riders, the results already made our Vuelta. But as far as they were concerned, nothing had changed. Protecting and providing for John Dagenkolb remained the priority. Dumoulin, much less than a protected rider, was obliged to help in the lead-out. As the team's road captain, Johannes Frohlinger, points out, a rider who can win a Grand Tour is not part of a lead-out for a bunch sprint stage. The following day offered the first real opportunity for the sprinters to take a bite out of the race. Despite a committed lead-out from a train that included Dumoulin, Degenkolb could manage no better than third, behind Peter Sagan and Nasser Buhani. Two days later, the German was beaten into second by Grand Tour debutant Caleb Ewan. A late split in the peloton also allowed Tom Dumoulin to snatch the few seconds he needed to take the race lead from Chavez. Although Dumoulin would hand the red jersey back to the Colombian after just one day, following another thrilling Stage 5 finish, shorter but similar to that of Stage 2, this was the first time his team had to contend with dual responsibilities. The Mayo Rojo came, as leaders' jerseys do, with a duty to honour it, by riding on or near the front of the peloton. It was still only week one, and it was barely detectable, but the pendulum had started to swing. Sundays in Grand Tours are often selected by race organisers as the showcase finale to the week's events. Weekends mean bigger audiences, both in person and on television. In 2015, the Vuelta's Stage 9 was therefore the first glimpse many were granted of Tom Dumoulin going toe-to-toe and coming out on top against some of the best climbers in the world. Travelling north from Torrevieja and tracing almost the entire length of the Costa Blanca, the route was relatively undemanding until it reached the final climb. The race would tackle the soaring Cumbre del Sol, which was appearing in the Vuelta for the first time, twice. It was another stage that Tom Dumoulin liked the look of, and one that suited a strong team with few climbers. Frohlinger committed his men to the cause. We knew the run into the climb and the finish very well, he says. We wanted to give Tom the best possible support. Dumoulin's teammates duly shepherded him through the stage until the first partial ascent of the Cumbre, after which he was on his own. By the second time around, he was with the group of favourites and feeling the effects of a crash a few hours earlier. Although he appeared at one point to have been distanced, I was just doing my own tempo. By riding at a sustainable rhythm, refusing to push himself beyond his anaerobic limits, Dumoulin was able to stay in touch and claw his way back into contention. He forced one attack, 1,700 metres from the line, but Chris Froome countered around the final bend and onto the steepest section of the climb. With Froome leading a quartet of favourites, the Mayo Rojo of Esteban Chavez not among them, most watching thought it was all over. Dumoulin, however, knew I had something left. With the finish line and Froome in sight, I thought it was now or never, so I just smashed everything out of my legs and it was enough. Even with a big stage win and the leader's jersey on his broad shoulders, neither he nor his colleagues would get ahead of themselves. If the team, now known as Sunweb, were to adopt a motto, it ought to be day by day. Each one of the riders who contributed to this story offered it, unprompted, as characterising their entire approach to that Vuelta. 
Yet, if there was a single point when Dumoulin was forced to acknowledge that he might be a general classification racer, it came three days later. Billed as the hardest Grand Tour mountain stage ever, Stage 11 was the brainchild of Joaquin Purito Rodriguez and contained no fewer than five climbs afforded Category 2 status or higher. It was too tough, arguably, for any of the favourites to risk an early attack, and they stayed largely together until the last mountain. With eight kilometres to go, Fabio Aru made what would prove to be the decisive move. Dumoulin handed over the jersey to the Italian, but by limiting his losses to three minutes, when the Andorran dust had settled, he was a mere 30 seconds behind Aru and still in a podium position. Now more than halfway through the Vuelta, and with a high mountain stage successfully negotiated, Dumoulin had to admit that he was at least in the game. If I can handle a stage with 4,500 metres of climbing, he told himself, probably the hardest one of that Vuelta, I must be all right. Teams frequently find themselves reduced to bystanders, as general classification plans crumble away to nothing. Rarely does the opposite happen. Similarly, it is seldom that a modest plan A, stage wins, points competition, poker dots, must make way for a more ambitious plan B. That was the situation Giant Alpecin found themselves in as the 2015 Vuelta approached its third week. The team did not redistribute every resource from Dagenkob towards Dumoulin, but with the Dutchman going so well and not looking like fading, found a solution to suit both. According to Stamsnyder, John and Tom made a gentleman's agreement that they would go full for each other and see where we were at the end. Stage 12 offered the last chance for Dagenkolb before Madrid. He finished an untidy sprint in fifth position. Over the next few days, the physical demands of the race began to take their toll on the team. Frohlinger was one who fell ill with a stomach bug and barely made it to the finish of stage 16. It was not the healthiest thing to finish this Vuelta, he admits. But we had the jersey to defend. Everything seemed to hinge on the next day's 38-kilometre time trial around Burgos. Dumoulin was in unknown territory. He had performed well in comparable Grand Tour time trials before, but on those occasions he had not also been racing for the general classification. When a particular stage is a rider's only target, says Speckenbrink, he can save some energy on the days before and after, but in the GC, you have to go full every day. In the end, Dumoulin blew everyone away, winning by more than a minute, retaking the overall lead by just three seconds. Craddock recalls the atmosphere on the team bus afterwards as being somewhere between amazement and elation. I think all of us sat there and were like, oh, jeez. Maybe he can actually win this. It was completely new to everyone on the team. No one had been in a position to win the overall at a Grand Tour before. If anything might have dampened spirits, it was that Aru had performed beyond anyone's expectations. Dumoulin did an amazing time trial, says Beckenbrink, but relatively one could have expected he would take more time on Aru. Frohlinger agrees with Craddock that Dumoulin's performance in the time trial transformed the mood in the camp. That, he says, was the first time they allowed themselves to believe that we're going for something special in a grand tour, victory. For the week prior, the team had sought to balance resources between Dagenkolb and Dumoulin. At that point, says Craddock, we went all in for the GC. Luca Mezgetz one of Dagenkolb's lead-out lieutenants, remembers his role changing overnight. 
All of a sudden, we were a team who has to defend the jersey all day in front, pulling in the wind. There were no easy days in that final week. No drifting back and rolling in with the grappetto. Instead, I tried to go as deep as possible. To go over the climbs and just to support Dumoulin as long as possible, he says. Mesgetz, says Frohlinger, along with Cohen de Court and John Dagenkolb, suffered massively to make it over the climbs in the last week. Having the race lead, he says, changed completely their goals and they gave everything they could. On stage 19, to Avilia, Dumoulin was able to double his lead from three to six seconds. Spakenbrink specifically credits Dagenkolb for his work on the cobbled run into the medieval city. For the most part, the stories Dumoulin and his teammates tell of that Vuelta are in close alignment. Where they most diverge is in their recollections of the crucial stage 20, a day before the race's conclusion. Road captain Frohlinger believes that had Dumoulin had a better team, he could have hung on. Tom himself was strong, he says, and still good enough to win the Vuelta. Ultimately, he adds, we didn't have the team to defend the jersey. As they predicted it would, the stage started at a blistering pace and Astana were able to dispatch a couple of their strongest climbers into the large early break. Among them was the Spanish rider Luis Leon Sanchez, who would later provide valuable assistance to Fabio Aru. Giant Alpesin were unable to send anyone up the road with them. Craddock, whose role that day was to stay with Tom as long as he possibly could, didn't make it as far as he'd have liked. At 23, he was as deep into a grand tour as he had ever gone, having abandoned the previous year's Vuelta on stage 14. I just didn't really quite have the legs, and I think I left him exposed for the last crucial part of the race, he says. Dumoulin himself would counter that nothing anyone else could have done could have helped him save that race. It's true that Giant Alperson didn't have the manpower to send our guys up in the break, he says, but even then it wouldn't have mattered. I was completely done. He had been getting sick over the previous days. I didn't recover well anymore. Eventually, I couldn't really eat and I had no energy on the last day. It was too much, too much for me to handle. Speckenbrink's analysis is more measured and analytical, closer to that of Dumoulin, but not that close. He does, however, agree that no one else could have helped him. The moment you cannot follow those wheels, a teammate is not going to make much of a difference. At the same time, he disagrees with Dumoulin's view that it was his physical limitations that cost him the Vuelta. All the riders were broken, he argues, with Dumoulin no worse off than anyone else. For the giant Alpesin boss, if there was a single event that, more than any other, decided the race, it was when Dumoulin was unable to stay with Aru at the top of the second climb of four, the Morquera. Had he been able to put in one more effort, suffer for a few extra seconds, hang on for ten more metres, it would, says Beckenbrink, have produced a completely different outcome. Dumoulin could have recovered on the descent, fought through the valley, hung onto his rivals for longer on the final climbs. Maybe he wouldn't have gone all the way, but perhaps. He would surely have lost less than the three minutes, 52 seconds that left him five places lower at the end of the day than at the beginning. Speckenbrink does not blame his rider for not being able to do it. He accepts that Dumoulin probably needed to have had that experience to enable him to push through it. 
but if the butterfly of Maastricht had flapped his wings one more time. The following evening in Madrid, giant Alperson's riders were all in for Dagenkolb. Tom Dumoulin's fever had worsened overnight, so much so that he came close to quitting with one stage left. His teammates persuaded him to at least take the start and see how he felt. They had started the Vuelta as a team on the Costa del Sol, ridden as one for three relentless weeks, and wanted to end it that way. Theirs was the only squad at the finish in numbers, with even Dumoulin somehow finding the strength to contribute to the effort. Their train controlled the sprint from start to jubilant finish. Round the final turn at a kilometre to go, Mezgetz was the second-to-last rider to peel off the train. Cohen de Court laid everything down before propelling Dagenkolb into the action. No other rider stood a chance. As the German crossed the line, his arms were rising from his handlebars to celebrate. Tom Dumoulin did not win a Grand Tour that day. But that day, they all believed that one day, he would. You've been listening to The Butterfly Effect by Nick Christian, originally published in Ruler issue 18.6, read by George Oliver. Download the Ruler app and the whole of issue 18.6 in which this feature was published is available for free. Use the code BUTTERFLY. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.